So you have these kids who are unique in the sense that the dominant cultures in their lives dislike them for the gift that makes them special. The thing that hurts the most is that you are a black child in America, and now you're being told that you cannot be a part of your culture, you cannot be a part of your community anymore because you are an intellectual, because you are a bright child. And that's devastating. Hello, and welcome to NCAGT's podcast, They'll Be Fine. I am one of your hosts, Catherine Caldwell, and today you are in for a treat because joining us today is... Alexia Rose. Hello, I am also an educator looking to help support gifted learners in any way that I can because time and time again, we hear they'll be fine, they're smart, they're already ahead of the game when people refer to gifted learners. Because of this sad misconception, too many students fail to reach their potential because they do not receive appropriately challenging curriculum services. Our nation's education policies narrowly focus on the achievement gap for struggling learners, which is extremely problematic for the widening excellence gap faced by high-ability students. Most regular classroom teachers do not receive adequate training to recognize and address the needs of high-ability learners. This is even more pronounced for children of color, English language learners, and children from low-income backgrounds. In addition, these teachers are under a prohibitive amount of pressure to close the achievement gap of their struggling students. While this is an important measure, it shouldn't be at the expense of our gifted and talented students. Here at NCAGT, we believe that it's up to us as parents, educators, and stakeholders to provide the gifted community the support that they rightfully deserve. Listen to They'll Be Fine to learn more about what you can do to ensure that your gifted and talented scholars are provided the resources they need to thrive. We are here because the saying they'll be fine just isn't good enough. On today's episode, we will be speaking with Jeffrey Blunt, a full-time author who grew up on a farm in rural southeastern Virginia, he graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University with a degree in mass communications and broadcast journalism. He is an award-winning author of three novels, Almost Snow White, winner of the 2013 USA Best Book Awards, Hating Heidi Foster, winner of the 2013 Reader's Favorite Book Award for Young Adult Literature, and The Emancipation of Evan Walls, which won four awards. During a 34-year career at NBC News, Jeffrey directed a decade of Meet the Press, The Today Show, NBC Nightly News, and major special events. He was a contributor for HuffPost and has been published in The Washington Post, TheGrio.com, and other publications commenting on issues of race, social justice, and writing. Today, we discuss the issues facing gifted students of color in schools across the country to learn more about what we can do on an individual and systemic level to create a change. So um, one thing that I thought was really interesting about the experiences that you've had, that you spent 34 years working at NBC News, I thought that was so fascinating and that you directed 
a decade of Meet the Press, the Today Show, NBC Nightly News, and major special events. I was thinking about how ever since we we started with this podcast, I've had friends who are not in the gifted world or education world come up to me and say that they now see colleagues in a different light and they see people that they've come into contact with and they're like, wow, I, I, I see like that person might be gifted now. Or I wonder if when people are hiring, they look for certain things. They may look at people a little bit differently like with a different lens. So I was just wondering if now looking back on those years, if you think maybe there were people that you worked with who might've been gifted. Oh, 100%. And there were people in all different phases of the work that I did including graphics, graphic design. There was an amazingly talented graphic artist who couldn't afford to go to college and felt like he had calling to be an artist when he was a child, taught himself. And he was an art director at NBC News, um, you know, creating opens and all kinds of 3D animations and things. And so he was definitely someone I looked at during that time and understood that this was a gifted person that I was sitting with and that I was watching work. And when I saw him, you know, you might have an idea in your head as a director, I want to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you watch him just start to draw and start to create and realize I wasn't even thinking that. And uh, how did he get there? But he read my mind anyway. So that kind of thing happened. I saw it a lot in reporters and um, who, you know, are one of the things, one of the ways I have always identified. And when I talk to people about identifying gifted children is the curiosity. How curious are they? And how they can, that the curiosity continues. So you can ask one question, they'll ask one question, you'll answer it. They'll find another way to ask about a part of your answer. Um, and then another way to ask a part of, about another part of your answer. And it just keeps going on. And you realize that they're, the, the, the wheels are turning in a way that don't turn that way for all of us, including me sometimes when I'm watching them. And so I recognize that here is an intellectual talent, um, that the gift um, to the, the quick mental capabilities, the way to take a all of a sudden a very complicated issue and distill it very quickly into something small and continue a conversation about it. Not everybody has that skill. And so I recognize many people in my time at NBC as being gifted and in many places that I don't think people think about them being in. It just makes me think about like students who I've seen in my classroom who have those like things about them that make them so special. And you're just wondering, I don't know, I feel like as a teacher, we look at our kids and wonder about what they're going to be when they grow up. And just like hearing about that is just so beautiful because it just, it's wonderful to hear that you can use these talents and abilities and the things, the possible careers that you could have one day. Absolutely. And that is why a lot of people look at gifted children and they think that there's actually something a little weird about that child. I mean, he, he, he or she only wants to talk with adults or likes talking to adults more. They look at things differently. So, you know, you start a program or you give them something to do. And they're not satisfied with the way you've instructed it to be done. They figure out another way to do it and blow you away. So there's so many different things uh, about the gifted child and about the things that we can identify and see and help them grow from that most of us don't think about all the time. 
So uh, that's why I'm happy to be in, in an environment and writing about these issues. And I will continue to write about these issues because I want kids who have these kinds of gifts to be able to use them and not be afraid. And then eventually when they're not supported to leave those gifts on a table somewhere and then struggle the rest of their lives. And to have those kids have that model through your work, I think is so incredible. So would you go that far to say that is why you became an author? To deal with the subject matter of the gifted child in, and particularly the gifted child in my book, an African-American boy who is really smart and whose smarts become a detriment to him as far as his community in terms of his African-American community who see him as doing something color-coded white. And it's a real shame that anybody would think that a child, a black child who's academically inclined is that's not a black thing to be smart. And then on the other side, um, a whole, um, a system um, who is set up to in many ways create bias in people who are with the kids to not see that they're talented. And it, this whole acting white phenomenon is a very different kind of thing for a gifted child to to deal with, a child of color to deal with. I wanted to write this particular story, The Emancipation of Evan Walls, to identify those kids who are hiding in plain sight, who are struggling in plain sight, and people don't know what to recognize. And if they recognize it, they don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to deal with it because race is involved. It's the third rail and nobody wants to touch it. And when we don't touch it, the kids are left behind. So that's why, you know, I, I, as far as just being an author, I love to write since I was a little kid. I love to read since I was a little kid. And I was a cub reporter for my hometown newspaper. I wrote feature stories, including one about my great grandmother, who, who was the child of slaves. And I wrote that during the time that Roots came out, the series Roots came out on television. I interviewed her about her feelings about that and her parents' feelings about that. And then I got involved in journalism because it's also storytelling. And I love the idea of putting the pictures and the stories together to tell stories. And I know that good journalism can make a difference and can change lives and can change the way even countries operate. So I wanted to be a part of that. And as I got closer to the end of my career, there were things that we didn't really talk about in, in, in my daily life at work. And there were issues that I wanted to touch upon. Education has always been a big issue in my family and in my life. I had lived a little bit of the situation that I wrote this book about, the acting white phenomenon. So I wanted at some point in my life to raise that issue and in a way try to free those kids. And then my mother, was a teacher in a church kindergarten in segregated times. And I went to school there. My brothers went to school there, my two older brothers, and we were reading before we went to first grade. And it was, education was always such a huge deal in my house. Both, neither of my parents could go to college, but when they got married, they made a promise to each other that any child they had would have an education. And all of that, it all of that led me to her, edu her educating me, or starting my education, helping me learn to love learning, helping me learn to love reading, all led me to find out the things that I was gifted at doing, including writing. And so I wanted to continue that. And, I, and education has always been a big part of my life in every step of my life. Wow. Just the experiences that you've had. And I'm just so glad that you're 
that you are an author, that you are telling those stories. And I was just thinking about how I think being an author just sounds like such a beautiful job to have. It's always been something I've always wanted to do was to write something, but just to just think about all the different genres that you just touched on. But just, I just think yeah. that's beautiful that you're telling those stories and, and creating those characters that different students can relate to and they can see themselves in a, in those books. I think that's really, that's amazing. That's awesome. Thank you. And being an author is for me, and nothing is for everybody, but for me, it's, it's an art and it leaves me at peace. It gives me a way to relate to my world that is thoughtful. It gives me a way to say to the world, I really thought about this so much so that I created this whole world to try and point, make this point to you. And when I'm finished at the end of the day of writing, I really feel at peace. And I know that this is where I belong. So every day I have that feeling and it just keeps me coming back. Wow. Such fulfillment of doing something like that. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. And I feel like in teaching kids to find things like that, that they can find that meaning and creating something and doing something to then share with the world is just, that's part of the goal. When you explain to someone your life's work and someone who maybe isn't quite in the realm of like education and gifted learning and all of that, when you explain to them your life work, how do you help them understand what it means to identify or be labeled as gifted? Well, it's interesting that I've had a couple of teachers when I've been on, when I was on my book tour, reach out to me about this. They didn't recognize the situation that there were these kids, these bright kids of color who were finding it difficult in their own community and otherwise. And they, you know, I've had, and particularly one, I had an email exchange with, and we talked about how do we identify the, these kids? How does she identify these kids? And I said to her, is there a time in the day when the kids just have play in the class? And she says, well, oftentimes when we are transitioning to another thing, sometimes we have to do some setup and I will do that with my teacher's aid and the kids, we allow them to do some play. And I said, did you ever stop to look at those children while they play? I know you're busy working too, but take some time and look at them and while they, how they play and how they're going about using their time. There are going to be a bunch of kids who are playing Play-Doh and a bunch of kids who are drawing and coloring. And then there's this one kid over in the corner that's trying to figure out some calculation with his Legos or something. And he's often the kid that other kids will say is weird, which is why he's over in the corner doing that. But that's the kid that you need to pay attention to. And I'm not saying that child will turn out to be a gifted child, but oftentimes that child is. And oftentimes that child of particular color um, just isn't noticed because it isn't expected of them the same way it is of white students. And I think that's why a lot of those kids get left behind. And we had a great conversation about why those kids are left behind. And again, what my suggestions on how she could see them. And then began to speak about what do I do then when I see them? Who do I talk to? And that kind of thing. So it's one thing when you're identifying a child in elementary school. It's another thing when that child has been, has not been identified, yet that brilliance is there despite what the fact that nobody has tried to lift it up. That child is just brilliant and it's just there. And then that child is, 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 is dealing with some of the situations that I wrote about in the book and they are, they become helpless. And despite they have, despite the intellect they have, 
they don't have the skills to put it, uh, how can I put it, the political skills to deal with the community around them because the community around them finds something odd about them. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And so this is one way I have worked with some teachers to identify those children. And just general conversation, as I said earlier, you look for the kids who are so curious. They're just unstoppable in their curiosity. And kids who want to talk to adults. And they want to talk to adults is not because they are are anti their classmates they're just they're they just have in many ways a more advanced vocabulary and they're apt to find that vocabulary and that give and take with their teachers or other adults so these are ways that you know, i have tried to help people in particular identify children of color and try to give them ways to work with them once they find it so they have a safe ground to grow on and because i feel like so many times people hear gifted and they think like intellectually or they think like maybe academically, like think that when we're learning like math and reading and science and all of that kind of stuff can maybe in the more structured environments. But I think watching right. them when they're play, because I was thinking about like we had indoor recess a couple of times with all the rain we've been having. And I'm just thinking about what they were doing during that time. And I instantly had a couple of kids come to mind. So I think that's an interesting yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, they send messages. And one of the things I like that you were saying is that we, the word gifted, some people have problems with it because they think it's in a way, it's kind of elitism. You, This kid is, why are you saying this kid is smarter and better than all the other children have worth too? Nobody's saying that other kids don't have worth. We don't have a problem when we say that's a gifted musician. We don't have a problem when we say that's a gifted quarterback. We don't have a problem when there's a whole lot of other gifted things, but all of a sudden when we come to education, people take offense that the child is gifted, but it is what it is. And we have to recognize that and try to give those two children the same tools we give the quarterback, the same tools we give the young prodigy who's picked up a violin and nobody knows why that child can play the violin the way they play the violin. But so we, I'm trying to take the stigma away from particularly in the African-American community, for many people, and at all times, I'm not speaking about the entire African-American community, otherwise I wouldn't be here, but I'm trying to take the stigma away that to be that bright is not a white thing. It is just a really bright child. Absolutely. And I'm thinking that with being gifted comes along a whole other set of challenges too. So you're speaking about how some people relate it to being elite, but it also comes with a whole lot of social and emotional challenges that they're working through, especially these children of color that is so important to point out. And I think a lot of families sometimes struggle with that piece for a variety of reasons. They do struggle. Um, and I think, again, part of that is education for the fa for the families as well as the teachers. We're talking about educators, but families have the same need to understand what, what's happening in front of them. Why, what, why is my kid able to do these things? And so we have to, we're busy educating children, educating educators, and we really need to educate parents too when they recognize something special in their child. And what, and we also have to look at, as you said, the whole child and look at their emotional health as well. Because we don't want, one of, the, one of the worst things I think is for, when you do find a really gifted child is that they feel like, okay, that's the only good thing about me now. Everybody talks about the fact that I'm gifted. I have nothing else to give to the world. And, the, and so I am pigeonholed in this corner of being this really bright 
science kid. And but nobody cares by the fact that I want to play the guitar or I like building sandcastles at the beach. So we all have we it and when our children show that they have something special, we have to remember that they have that and they're still children and they still need all of that love and encouragement that we give all children. I completely agree with that because I think so often we treat them like little adults and the importance yeah. of letting children be kids, I think is so incredibly important. Going off of what you said about families, how do families <laughs> of color advocate for their children if they feel they are gifted? What advice would you give to those families? I think, I, so as a journalist, one of the things I go to first is research. As a parent, you want to research the issue about why there are not enough children of color in gifted programs. So arm yourself with that information. If your child has had any sort of disciplinary issues or you feel your child hasn't been seen and that has caused your child some problems, these things need to be documented. And so you document, you research, then you make an appointment with your principal and the child's teacher. And I like to say have both in the room at the same time because you don't want to have to do this multiple times and then everybody can hear what you're saying. And then you lay it out. You say, here, here is my understanding that there is a dis disparity here. My understanding is that oftentimes children of color don't get recognized when they have this capability. We feel and we feel that our child is showing some of this. We would like our child to be looked at for the opportunity of participating in the gifted program. As far as we know, nobody's even talked about that. But what we see at home is that our child has some special gifts and we would like to see if that's part of the issue. So I think if you go to them armed with information, it's hard for people then to one, say you don't really, you haven't been doing your homework. And then you show people that you're in the really in the game with your child that you're recognizing something and you don't want your child to be, to not have every bit of educational support they have. So that's the first step, I think. I would hope that most educators, principals, and teachers would be attuned to that. It doesn't take anything from anybody to turn your head and start to pay attention to little Kathy or little Joey that you, in ways that you haven't before. So um, I, that would be, that's how I would suggest to parents to do that. And then you have to stay, as I said, stay in the game with them. It's not a one-time visit. You have to stay with the teacher. You have to stay with the principal and whoever else is involved to make sure that your child is being recognized. And when you're seeing new things at home, you have to write the email to the teacher and say, look, this is what I'm talking about. And I think when one of the things my mother always says, my mother was a teacher, as I said, and my daughter is a is also an educator, that people respond to parents who who are are engage with their children and support their children. I love how specific that was, like exact things that people can do to advocate for their children. So that's on the parent side. So now kind of switching over to the school side, what schools can do better to make sure that these students are given the opportunities that they deserve. One statistic that I think is just very eye-opening is that the percentage of Black students in gifted programs in the U.S. is about 9.9%, while Black students represent 15.5% of the overall student population. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, yeah, I think that is just very eye-opening. What do you think that school systems could do to better serve those gifted students of color? 
I think the first thing is in identifying them. And I think this is not a small issue. I think, uh, let me say that we all have bias, including me, but I do believe that bias is a serious problem for schools in identifying and then supporting bright kids of color. We know that, and you guys will probably know this better, but I, and, uh, as I recall, there's something like 70 to 75, maybe 80% of teachers are white females in this country. And so that, yeah. there is, yeah, so there is a right there situation, given the fact that, as I said, including me, we all have our biases that unless you are conscious of your bias, then you, then that could be affecting those children in your classroom who you are just not seeing because of your bias. There was a study in 2016 by Yale, and I forgot exactly what the study was called, but what they did was they got quite a few teachers. I think it might've been over a hundred teachers. And they said, okay, we're going to look at some video here. They broke them up into groups. We're going to look at some video here and you're going to see four kids. And they're going to be a white boy and a white girl, a black boy and a black girl. And actually, I don't think it was video. I think they were with them. And they said, there's probably going to be some problems here, some problematic behavior. And so knowing that you go in and watch the kids play, and then we'll talk about it. So what they done was they had some technology that so they could watch the teacher's eyes and see where the teachers were paying attention while the kids were playing. And they had told them, of course, that there's probably going to be some problematic behavior. So they're on lookout for the problematic behavior. All of the teachers, white and black, looked at the black boy most of the time. When they talked about it, of course, it was because in their bias told them that black boys are not going to be the stars in the class. They're going to be the kids that we have to discipline. So if we can't deal with these things at the beginning of the kids' educational process, all the stuff coming after it is a Band-Aid on a problem that started way back here. And we're not identifying them because of our bias. We're not helping them because of our bias. And remember, I said, even the Black teachers looked at the Black boy and expecting that, which in return, which a little bit reminds me of the study that they did when they gave Black girls, when they gave them a choice between a white doll and a Black doll, they picked the white doll because mm -hmm. the this is the standard and this is what's good and the black doll is not good. And so this is one of the complications, the tentacles of, of race in our country. And I believe that it is a huge under uh, a, a huge problem that we don't pay enough attention looking at. So I think we pass on many different gifted children. And one the teacher I talked about that I emailed with, um, not, I don't know her. This is something that happened. We met at a book thing. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm wondering how much bias was in that instance that she'd never watched this kid play to see what the differences were. I don't believe there was anything spirited because she was in tears when she heard me talk about my book and the children my book represented. So I believe there's a really good heart there. But we are all victims of the environment that, in which we've been raised. And so I think 
we start there, we identify them properly, and then along the way, we all are checking our biases at the door and we're allowing these children to show us who they are, provide all of the children who are in the gifted programs equal support depending on their individual needs, but we don't give 100% to Alice and 20% to Derek. That's how, that's the really important part for me, identifying in the early days. This study was done in preschool. So if the kids, if this kind of bias is affecting kids in preschool, teachers in preschool, you know, what's going on further down the line? How are these kids showing or being thought about as we move further up the line in, in, in their grades? So it's a very serious subject. I know from my own experience growing up in, in Southeastern Virginia that there were many teachers who did not expect that I had the capabilities I had. My son, who is, we would, my wife and I would say, would we would recognize is gifted, if not both of our kids, and we're blessed in that sense. But and when he went to high school in the ninth grade, he wrote a history paper. And the history teacher marked him down for his vocabulary. And when we went to the school to see what the problem was, the history teacher said he couldn't know those words. He had to have, he had to have gone online and looked stuff up and wrote stuff that wasn't his because he wouldn't know those words. Well, why would you assume, why would you assume that he wouldn't know those words? Because black boys they can't speak that way. These are the things we have to deal with and work with. So that's a very, and I apologize, very long-winded answer to your question, but this is a part of it that I feel very passionate about. I feel like I'm just thinking about these are tough conversations to have. These are conversations that make people uncomfortable. And I'm just thinking though, if we don't talk about these things with people, I'm just thinking about people I work with every single day. They would be so embarrassed if they were in that study and they were one of those people who looked at the black boy instead of looking at everybody else. I don't know. I just feel like so many people will be so ashamed almost of themselves. And I just think it's really important to talk about this, to acknowledge it and then say, okay, but what can we do now to be better so that these students all get exactly what they need or so that these students are getting the opportunities and you're, I don't know, making yourself better, making your, changing your way you see things, changing the way you see people. So I just think that you explained all of that beautifully. Thank you. You're welcome. So Jeffrey, in The Emancipation of Evan Walls, you write about a young black gifted child, Evan, who's growing up in racially charged 1960s, and he is just inspired to overcome racism and class status that is imposed of people of color. And it's a really unique space that you place him in and discuss in this book. I would love for you to speak a little bit more to that space that Evan is in and what our gifted students of color may be going through. The unique space is the space that I've written about, and it's the acting white space. Mrs. Obama at a commencement address at Bowie State Historically Black College in 2013 said, she quoted her husband and saying, my husband often says that we have to reject the slander that a black child with a book is acting white. And then she mentioned it in her memoir that she had gone through this situation in her memoir. So it is something that I have gone through. And the situation is when you have a really black, bright black child 
And particularly, it, it, like I said, we are allowed to shine in entertainment and music, sports and other things. When it comes to academics, and then when you end up in a, you know, an AP course or some other course where you're one or two black children in that course and you make white friends because those are the kids you're in class with for a whole year, people decide that you don't want to be black anymore, that you're with these white geeks and you just want to be like them and you don't want to be black anymore. And so you get called Uncle Tom, you get called all other Oreo and all other kinds of things for participating in doing your homework and going to class on time. It, it is, it's a tragedy that that's happened in parts of the African-American com community. I remember when I was growing up, it was all education. How are we going to equal, how are we going to survive in, in this, this new world coming out of Jim Crow and all of that? Education is the way. Somehow we got to a point where it became a thing that is, it is a white thing to become, to be smart in school. And on the other hand, you have these kids who are in situations where there are, where there's the unconscious bias of white teachers and then the active bias of white teachers, which I experienced, where they will go out of their way to make sure you don't succeed or that you try not to try to keep you from succeeding. So you have these kids who are unique in the sense that the dominant cultures in their lives dislike them for the gift that makes them special. The thing that hurts the most is that you are a black child in America, and now you're being told that you cannot be a part of your culture, you cannot be a part of your community anymore because you are an intellectual, because you are a bright child. And that's devastating. People have said to me on the road, white kids go through the same problem. They're geeks and bookworms and they get told, they get teased that they're the, you know, the, the bookworm and the geek. And I say, you tell me, but I've never heard a white person say to a white kid, you're no longer white because you got an A on that test. I've never heard that. So this is a unique and unfortunately special little place within our world of gifted students that I wanted to highlight because these kids are not getting any help, these kids are killing themselves. These kids are going through amazingly horrible acts of bullying, physical and emotional, to the point where parents are now suing the school systems so they can have their child protected. This is why I wrote this book, and this is why I was happy to speak to the National Association of Gifted Children, and I'm happy to be with the North Carolina <laughs> group <laughs> to speak to this issue and everyone involved has shown an inclination to want to help these children. And so I've been so happy about that. I've been pleased about that. And I just want to, as I said, I will work alongside you all in making sure that these wonderful children can be seen. In something that you mentioned earlier, you said we can support them. Schools need to work to identify them and check their bias at the door. So we identify these gifted children that are experiencing this acting white what can right. we do in response to that to support them as the whole child do you have any resources or tips for us in that way on how we can support them as individuals so you just touched on something that that actually angers me is that there are no resources because we don't want to talk about it it's a taboo subject people in both communities 
don't want to have this discussion. We can't help them because there's nothing set up to, to deal with this particular issue that we're dealing with. What I've said to some folks is that, okay, if you are white, you and if you have black colleagues that you have that you're comfortable in having this conversation with, as Catherine said, it's it's a hard conversation to have. But you can identify, you can say, I saw this situation happen. This this wonderful child who we know is very bright, I saw this situation, this is what happened to them. I feel that as a white teacher, it's a minefield for me to go in without educating myself or without speaking to someone who can go in, who can wade in that water with me. And then you go together, you sit the kids down, you sit the kids who, the bright kid, you sit the kids who did the teasing. You ask them what's going on, ask them why it's going on. And you try to make them recognize the damage that's being done and why it, why essentially they really need each other in, in, in this environment as they move through school. I had a story from a black teacher, a female teacher who saw two children doing this to another child in the change of classes. As she stepped out into the hall, as the children were changing classes, these two kids were teasing the other one, calling him some name equivalent to Oreo or something like that, because he was a bright black child. So she took them both into her class and they were saying, we're going to be late. We're going to be late. She said, you will be late, but I will take care of that with your teachers right now. You need to have this. We need to have this conversation. And she talked to them about what they were doing. And she tried, and they're middle school. So they're under, they're able to understand the consequences of what they're doing. And she was able to put it in some historical context and let the other kids know that, as I said, the damage that they're doing and why they would need each other to support each other as they move through their time in school. And then she walked them to their classes and, and so they wouldn't get into trouble. But these are the kind of conversations and these are the kinds of things that need to be seen. Um, you know, if you see a black child who is really smart and doing well and they seem like loners, they seem sad, was walking around with his hoodie up all the time or, or something like that, then have a conversation with that child. And you don't go up, obviously you don't go up and say, hey, are you, is this happening to you? You can talk to them about what's going on and, hey, I see you by yourself all the time. And you just, and maybe this is a school counselor kind of conversation, but you're going to have to go to that child. That child is not going to come to you because there are no resources, there are no people, and they know that. And that's why they suffer in silence. Wow. And I think that just makes me think about like how important it is to like address and not ignore these types of things and making sure that we are like, even if like uncomfortable or nervous to say the wrong thing, but like your intention is just to like, I feel like that's important too. It's like your intention is to only help. And as educators, we just want our students to blossom and live the best lives that they can and have the opportunity and success that they can, but making sure we are like bringing these things to light. And like, I love how you said having someone with you and including the guidance counselor. I feel like that's so important for people to make sure that they're doing. And I think that's just, because if we just cover up and, and don't discuss, then we're just getting nowhere. And the kids are scared. They really are. And so it really takes a soft hand, a soft touch, and a recognize that once you identify this child, and if you can identify this child because of what's happening to them online, what's being said about them, or what's being said to their face, well, one conversation isn't going to fix it. 
And this is about building a relationship with that child so that, that child will feel comfortable telling you what's going on and then creating the tools for that child, which include educating the other children. I wanted to mention something. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the gifted student profiles. So this is something we ask all of our guests without using any names, of course, or if you decide to use Evan Walls. Um, can you give us an example of a gifted student profile and what that might look like to the untrained eye or an educator that doesn't know a lot about gifted scholars? I know that there are a couple of very gifted young men that I have worked with over the last couple of years, and those profiles would be just a superbly intelligent one in terms of science and math and the way that science and uh, help us live our lives. And in fact, while in high school had created something in a science project that could actually change all of our lives. He did this in high school. And of course, when time came to go to college, everybody wanted him. All the best schools wanted him. And um, there's that profile of someone just that is just, it would be the equivalent of if you were if you were able to recognize Michael Jordan in high school, you would know that this is this kid is different. As they say when they talk about athletes, this kid is special, you, and nobody seems to have a problem, as I said, with that. And so it it would be the same thing. Understanding that this kid over here with the science, who's already doing things that can save lives and better our lives, that's one profile. Another profile was as I talked about ch children who are who are just curious and have to and want to ask a lot of questions and are self-motivated once they find direction to do that. So I met a young man who was is also just so impressive and he loves he's more of in the I guess you would say the humanities side of being being brilliant as a and but here's a kid who was you know just just getting into middle school and loved the came across this idea about bees and how important bees were to our society and all of this and started what he could do created his own bee farm and is raising bees he wrote a book in middle school published oh about gosh. about what bees do how bees help us in society about how they make the world go around, how, how they, how they are such an important part of the ecosystem is a middle schooler, but he's a, he's, he's not the, he's not the science nerd that some people talk about. He's a different kind of gifted because this is a kid in my mind who it's, he's going to, who's going to write these incredible nonfiction books about the way the world works or is going to become, who could become one of those great journalists I was talking about who sees something and has to figure out how it works, and then he want, then the wants to tell everybody about it. So I guess those are two profiles that I have run into in recent years that are very different. But there's no way you can't walk away from these young men and not know that they are that they're gifted and talented, and you want to support that. And I know that the particular, the science, the young man, in, when science was, I would have to tell him to talk to me like you're talking to an elementary kid, because I didn't understand what he was talking about. And I, I grew up with people saying that I was gifted. So it, it's just, it's an amazing thing to watch and to see. And I just want all of them to have the same kind of love 
an unconditional love that I had that my parents gave me, the kind of support that my parents gave me, the kind of, I want to say, they were in the game with me to such an extent that I couldn't even ignore the possibilities of education. My my dad was the president of the PTA. My Both of them were at every parent-teacher's conference. They were just with and supportive of us. And I never felt like they were pushing me. I felt like they understood. I felt like my they have a plan. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is, but they have a plan. And then my wife and I adopted that plan and used it with both of our children. And it worked. And I, I just want everybody, every child to be able to have that kind of love and unconditional support that I had. I love listening to the student profiles because it always makes me think of different students that I've had. And when you were discussing that student that wrote about the bees, it made me think of, I had a student when I taught fourth grade who definitely fit the mold of a quirky kid who was a bit of an outsider in the room. I don't remember them like really like overperforming and everything and in reading and math, but I do remember he started writing this fantasy book one year and like he just wanted to, he loved fantasy. So he started writing this book about this these dragons and he had characters he created this whole world and I remember when he went on to fifth grade him coming back and I got to read it and he had written chapters and they put it in the library at school and just like the pride that he got from that and like how that just I don't know I feel like kids getting those opportunities to just thrive and like those like passion projects is just so important so that they can not feel stifled or get to show who they are and get to shine in in the ways that they can. I I love. Oh, and I think what the school, I think what the school did was so important to put it in the library, to validate what this child, this child's special gift was. It's no different than putting, again, if I go back to sports, it's no different than putting the team trophy in the case in the lobby of the school. Um, And it's a wonderful thing that they did that. And I'd like to say one other thing about when you mentioned the quirky kid who is a bit off to the side. One of the things teachers can do is provide a safe haven. And obviously, I'm not talking about you being the kid's friend. But those kids who are the quirky, who do talking to adults who are a little bit different, they can find comfort in the teacher, even if they don't have comfort in the class. And it's real important for that child to know if I want to come up to you in the hallway, Ms. Caldwell, and talk to you about the Lord of the Rings, that you'll give me five minutes to talk about the structure of the book. And that for the next two classes, that kid's happy because someone has validated his or her joys and concerns and interests. And so they don't always need to have five best friends. They just need to have that one person who thinks that what they're interested in is actually normal. And I think holding on to those quirks, like quirky kids are some of my favorites. Like I love like the little, like little oddballs. I just love it. And just like holding on to your quirks, hold on to those. If you're so obsessed with Lord of the Rings, like that's fine. Hold on to it. Looking back sometimes at like high school and middle school and everything. I don't know. You wanted to conform and you wanted to be like everyone else, but it's like, no, hold on to those things because in adulthood, like that stuff turns into careers. Like you need to like, absolutely hold on to those passions. Absolutely. Yeah. And some of those quirky kids I worked with who became our technical geniuses at the network. 
our, our, our engineers and, and the people who put the shows together, put all the wires in the right places and the, you know, all the digital stuff together, these really quirky men and women who, who again, talk about things in ways that we just don't understand. Um, but you know, as like you said, they grew up to make networks run. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for everything you've discussed with us and for your time. How can our listeners, if they have questions or just want to continue the conversation, how can they best get in contact with you? If you go to www.jeffreyblunt.com, there is a contact tab. And I promise you, I will respond. I respond to every request I get. And this conversation is important to me, particularly if there are teachers or educators or people who want to speak about in general, these issues or the particular issue that I wrote about. I will, I am a hundred percent happy to have that conversation with you because everything I'm doing right now is for the children. And in my next book, it continues because there is a large part of the book that deals with literacy, early childhood literacy for children of color, because we cannot succeed if we can't read. Everybody is in college material. I believe that. But nobody can function to their best, and we can't read and to be able to decipher the world around us. And the last thing we would like to discuss with you is the divide that the term giftedness causes. Sometimes this term can lead to misconceptions and can even prevent students from being identified because they don't check those preconceived boxes. So do you agree that the term gifted is problematic? And if so, would you rename it? I do agree that it can be problematic. I don't want to change it because I believe that, again, these kids have their own, we need to praise these kids the same way we praise the gifted violinist. And to change it is to, in my mind, say that there's something wrong with them. It's We're the ones who are having a problem with the label. They are what they are. How are you going to describe them? How are you going to describe this kid in the seventh grade who's writing a book about how bees change the world? Or a kid in high school who is creating science that can actually change the world. They are gifted. And why would we not give them that praise and that when we give it to everybody else in all these other different sectors of our lives? So true. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to touch on? No, I just want to say that I'm very thankful for you for giving me the opportunity because this is all for the children. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk to talk about it. And every step, every time I get to talk about it, I hope that it adds a little bit to to move towards change. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's obvious that you're so passionate about this. And I just love that that you're sharing it and that people are going to be able to listen to it in so many different ways. And I just think this is such an important conversation, like you said. So thank you so much for thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. It was my pleasure. I was listening to one of your podcasts and just to wrap up and a podcast you were on and it said nothing gets fixed in the shadows. You said that. And so I'm so hopeful that this conversation will help take it out of the shadows to try to make some true change. So really, thank you for being here. Thank you very much.